Welcome to FYI, the four-year innovation podcast. This show offers an intellectual discussion on technologically enabled disruption, because investing in innovation starts with understanding it. To learn more, visit arc-invest.com. Arc Invest is a registered investment advisor focused on investing in disruptive innovation. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. It does not constitute either explicitly or implicitly any provision of services or products by Arc. All statements made regarding companies or securities are strictly beliefs and points of view held by Arc or podcast guests and are not endorsements or recommendations by Arc to buy, sell, or hold any security. Clients of ARC Investment Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to the ARC Invest podcast, FYI, for your innovation. This week, I'm joined by our web analyst, James Wang. Hey, Sam. How's it going today? Hey, good. I will say, I'm always excited to do a podcast with you. I always walk away learning a lot more than I came into the room knowing. (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) (laughs) all right this week we're going to be talking about it and cloud which may not sound so exciting to a lot of you but it's a very interesting topic and a lot's happening let me tell you why it's exciting okay when you listen to a tech podcast people will talk about facebook they'll talk about netflix and snapchat and privacy on this stuff and all of that is is very topical but most of it it falls under consumer internet, which falls under the advertising business, really. So from an investor's perspective, um, global advertising is a $600 billion market. And no matter how finely you, you dice this problem, you're ultimately talking about how to take share from that market. IT or enterprise computing sounds very boring. Nobody wants to talk about SAP. Nobody wants to talk about Kubernetes and containers and things like that. But that is a $4 trillion market globally, covering everything from data center systems systems, to enterprise software, to communication services. So even though it's less sexy, it actually is a larger investment universe versus advertising at least. And it has many more diverse players. And I didn't initially find this stuff interesting, but as I got more into it, it took me about three years to warm up to it. I hope if you listen to this podcast, maybe it will take you a shorter period of time. That's a great point, James. This is a huge opportunity that a lot of people haven't really looked at. To understand why it's so exciting right now, it's important to kind of look at the history and how we got to where we are. So when we first started off, everything was on-prem, which is short for on-premises. Can you kind of describe that architecture for the audience? Yeah, sure. Basically, you know, enterprises, like whether you're American Express or, or Coca-Cola, everyone uses computing and you need servers to kind of run in the, in, the, in the back office or in the basement so that when a consumer or your own departments need computing resources, they have something that they can use. And that used to be all done in-house. So a big company will have their own computer systems, data centers, and they would buy it from server manufacturers like Dell and Cisco and so forth. Um, and that was the traditional kind of data center business. What really has been disruptive over the last 15 years is kind of the arrival of um, cloud-based computing, which uh, started really in earnest with Amazon AWS. And what Amazon did was to say, hey, you don't need to buy your own servers. You can just uh, rent our servers. We have warehouses full of these using the latest Linux distributions, using the latest Intel processors. And it's actually cheaper and easier for you to rent from us than to spend the capital expenditure of rolling out your own servers. Traditional IT departments cannot hire best-in-class and 
administrators. You can't all be best in class if your real business is selling sugar water. So it takes weeks and months to provision these servers, install them, patch them, and then you have a vulnerability and you have a PR crisis. But if you just rent from Amazon, all of theirs is state of the art. You know that their administrators are on top of everything. Everything is patched. Uh, it's actually more secure and easier to buy because it's already there. So what happened was IT departments and marketing departments were pulling out their own credit cards and just renting these without having to go through the traditional process. And that just sped up everything. This is why AWS is now a huge business growing at 40% with very large margins. And I remember when AWS really first came out, Amazon starts segmenting it. People see how quickly it's growing. The mindset out there was that everything was going to go into the public cloud, that you would no longer need to own your own infrastructure in-house. But that's not really a reality, is it? What's kind of the bottleneck stopping us from getting there? Yeah. In the growth period a few years ago, I think Amazon's whole pitch was, hey, eventually everything will be public cloud. Public cloud is the kind that you, where you don't own any of the infrastructure, you're just renting from someone like Amazon. And the three main providers of public cloud is Amazon, Microsoft, Azure, and uh, uh, Google Compute Platform. That was their main kind of angle of attack. Uh, but the reality... I think what we've learned over the years is this. If you're a new company, if you're a Slack, if you're a Snapchat, if you were born after the cloud was invented, you are going to build your infrastructure on public cloud. There's really no reason for you if your business is to provide some kind of software to be building and managing computer and hardware. Just like if your business is designing computer chips like Nvidia, there's no point for you to build a factory to make chips. You can just buy the supply from, uh, from an existing factory like TSMC. But because computing is multi-decade old and enterprises like IBM have been around for more than 100 years, the existing enterprises cannot just buy exclusively from public cloud because they have an installed base. They have existing applications. To migrate all that stuff to AWS often isn't possible for a variety of reasons, and it may not be cost-effective either. The most often reason cited is just the, just the bandwidth and latency. Often applications have to be close to the user to be performant. If it's off in a data center, you're constantly basically shuffling data back and forth. Privacy there's, concerns. There's privacy concerns. Uh, legal and compliance is a huge one. There are data local data custodian laws that says, for example, you know, data that's serving Chinese customers must stay in China. So if you have a data center, public data center in India or or in Oregon, that is not going to work. So for various reasons, existing enterprises cannot just use public cloud exclusively. So their desire is to have the same efficiency of the public cloud, but in their own data centers, this is called hybrid uh, cloud. And they've been trying to do that with various solutions for the last three years or so. Great. So then let's kind of dive into the landscape out there. So you had on-prem, then you had public cloud. Now this next generation is hybrid. So a combination of both. Who are the players who are tackling this space? Is it same as the public cloud players or are there different people in this hybrid cloud space? Basically, if you're not up until like a month ago, if you're not Amazon or Google, your whole story with compute was hybrid cloud because you are not winning the public cloud race, right? You just position yourself as, hey, we can do hybrid cloud. IBM buying Red Hat, the motivation largely is driven by the desire to use Red Hat's containerization technology for the on-prem data centers for hybrid cloud. But I would say everyone has been trying to sell some solution, but no one I think has nailed this bringing 
call it Amazon and Google level technology and efficiency in the data center into a local data, uh, uh, your own your own data center, except for the possible exception of a company called Nutanix. Nutanix is a company that started out doing hyperconverged infrastructure, which is a which is a mouthful. Um, all it is uh, is these servers that combine storage and computing and often networking in one box uh, that you can scale very easily. That then they wrap around in uh, a software that is Nutanix's own software, so that deploying these servers is very cheap, very fast, very easy to maintain, and they're very performant. And Nutanix has been growing like a weed by basically selling this combination of hardware and software to enterprises. And once enterprises buy them, even though they're quite expensive, they're like, wow, it used to take me a team of 12, 20 people to manage my data center. Now I can manage it with three or four people. So pretty much what they're doing is they're just abstracting out of the decision between on-prem versus public cloud and where you're going to manage all of your data? They're not even there yet. They're actually just helping you manage your local data center like a cloud. The, the difference is, is this. It used to be that you know, if you're a marketing department and you need some IT resources for some project, you used to have to file a form with IT and say, hey, can you buy, buy us some service for this? We need it in this configuration. We need to run what kind of software? I mean, the IT, and then you would have an approval process and the IT people would have to say, okay. And then they'll order the servers and the servers come in. This is just a huge, huge lag. Maybe the servers will be installed, updated and running in six months time. What you want to do is to virtualize that resource so that you just have a bunch of servers on standby and any department can just click like almost like sending email or filling out a form. Hey, I need four servers. I need a bare metal or I need it on a kind of a Linux virtual machine. And then please make it magically appear. So Nutanix converts the existing data centers that you have or the ones that are hyper-converged into just this pool so that the departments themselves can self-provision because they already exist and it's just served like software. So their goal is to take your existing hardware and servers and make it like remove the complexity, abstract away the, the underlying hardware so that it can be just requested on demand like software. So make infrastructure invisible. The first wave of everything they've done up to this point is, is just to make the local data center work like a public cloud. Public cloud is a provision like this, right? You just enter a form and basically drop down boxes and select server configurations. The next phase of their kind of roadmap is to allow them to allow enterprises to do this for the public cloud as well. So a truly kind of multi-cloud and hybrid cloud, completely agnostic and just, just use the Nutanix front end. That's their vision. They're not there yet. Gotcha. So they're not there yet. It sounds like Microsoft with the Azure stack is not quite there yet. You have Amazon who's using, is that VMware for this purpose? As you mentioned, you had IBM who acquired Red Hat to try and tackle this purpose. And now we have the newest entrant throwing their hat into the ring. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So the newest entrant came out kind of in the beginning of June, which is Google. Google is number three in public cloud, and they've been really trying to kind of catch up to Amazon. This was really their business to lose, right? Google is the, the ultimate technologist when it comes to data centers. Yet they let Amazon, a retailer, take the huge business for, for public cloud computing. So they've tried very hard to catch up. They hired Diane Green. Uh, she left recently. She was from VMware to kind of bring this enterprise sensibility to Google. And what they're offering, their latest product is called Anthos. And Anthos is basically Google saying, we want to be the meta layer to, to let you manage all of your infrastructure using our wonderful software. 
So previously it was like Google will let you run, use Google Cloud and help you manage some of your local data centers. But now Google will even let you use um, Anthos as this kind of layer to buy res computing resources even from other public clouds. So think of this as Google being the top layer and says, use our software. You can then provision computing resources from our cloud, GCP. You can use our very efficient software to run your own data centers. And you can use it to provision resources from AWS and Microsoft Azure. This is kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. They are enabling their competitors generate revenue. That is how, a you could say, brave they are, or you could say how desperate they are. So depending on your perspective. Well, so before we go forward, where are they in the value chain? Is there more value? So let's say you're using Anthos and that's your layer of abstraction, but then you're buying all of your public cloud from Amazon Web Services. Who captures more value there? Is it Google with Anthos or is it AWS? In that case, it would be mostly AWS because presumably that the details are not very clear yet they would just pass through the revenue for you. So whatever AWS charges, they'll just pass through the costs. Maybe they add a little bit of a management fee or something else on top, but that would be minor. They couldn't charge you a lot more than that. Otherwise, you would just go straight to AWS, right? Their value is really simplifying the process for the enterprise that's, that's deploying their computer systems. So you can use one system instead of having to learn all these different systems. Wow. Honestly, when you're just saying it like that, it kind of reminds me of Google Maps showing both Uber and Lyft prices side by side, right? You're not going to choose Uber if Lyft is X dollars cheaper for something like that. Yeah, that's that's an interesting analogy. And you know, that sounds initially when we were thinking about that experiment, it, it seemed like Google would end up in a more powerful position than the underlying services. But I think the majority of people still go to the apps directly. Um, and price shopping via a meta app is still maybe not the primary use case. Mm -hmm. I'd agree with that. And so Google seems to be late to the game with this announcement. Just looking at, you know, you already have a number of players who are out there with these services, but it sounds like they're offering something new. And just because it's later in time, it sounds like actually they could be further along as far as technical ability. How do you frame that? I think it's hard to say... Um, how well it will work. The key technology Google is offering is basically they have some kind of a wrapper that will automatically take your workload, whether it's a database workload, a virtual desktop workload, put it in a container. The containers are these abstractions that basically um, allow software to run without too much dependencies on the underlying hardware and helps you to kind of shoot them into different, orchestrate them. Um, their, key their key value add is uh, this auto containerization technology and their container uh, orchestration technology called Kubernetes. That's considered you know, a kind of industry best in class. And uh, if it works, it would be great. We just don't know how well it will work in practice. And different software applications can be abstracted and, and ported with different levels of success. So uh, I think it may work for some applications and less well for others. They would definitely be carving out kind of work case by work case. That's kind of how enterprise computing works. It, I think it's important to differentiate the direction that they're starting with, especially versus Nutanix, which is, I think, the, the, the company that's had most success achieving this goal. Google is starting from their existing customer base that's already running GCP. Um, there are many Fortune 500 com companies and Snap runs on GCP and saying, hey, now with Anthos, you, you're not locked to us necessarily exclusively, and you can, use, you can extend this technology to your own data centers and to other clouds if you wish. 
That's nice. That's a feature add for existing customers. Nutanix is going from a different place. Nutanix is starting from the enterprise companies that are already using them to run their own internal data centers, managing your internal data centers, and saying, hey, and you will now be able to use us to procure services from other public clouds, whichever one it is that's your favorite, and really branch out kind of the depth of the offering there. I think the reason why Nutanix has had so much so much success thus far, um, and they've grown, you know, very quickly, one of the first companies, one of the fastest companies to get a billion dollar AR, is that Nutanix really understands the reality of enterprise computing. All those hairy old applications, SAP databases, Oracle, BDI, all the things that are, are deep in the data center. Whereas Google lives in, for the most part, its own world. It doesn't need to run any of those applications for Google search. The existing Google teams are really geared toward internally facing applications. And Google Cloud is what's facing, what's external facing. And there's always been a delta between what they offer internally and what they offer to customers externally. And because they don't know enterprise, because they don't use these applications to the same degree, um, they have no real passion for it. I think that's why they've always had a hard time catching on to those workloads and competing successfully against AWS. AWS is a very pragmatic, Amazon is a very pragmatic company. They will offer whatever customers want. So I think the primary obstacle for Google's success is still do they whether they have enough enterprise DNA, whether they're willing to really start from the customer rather than their own technology stack. And uh, if they can do that, I think they could get, gain some share. But thus far, that's been their roadblock. And I'd just say I'm covered mainly from the hardware side. Uh, and at least it seems like a similar problem with their hardware products of, you know, not necessarily thinking with the customer. Which, which hardware products? Well, I'm just thinking about you know nest as a product i've only heard uh, a lot of complaints about people installing it and having to call customer support things like that and just kind of the approach to waymo as well and how they're rolling that out but this seems like it's more core to their you know software competency yeah google's kind of culture seems to be we know the best solution, so use our solution. That works extremely well when you can convince people to do that. I think their consumer-facing products have had some success with that, whether it's maps or search. With enterprise, it doesn't quite work uh, often because the reality is it's not really dictated by what's best. It's dictated by what works best for my reality. And if I've been using, if I need SAP, you know, HANA, because that's just what we use, we can't replace that then then you have to be best at something that you're not good at and that's just a different kind of mindset mm -hmm. and so we started off you said that the it spending annually is roughly four trillion of that you know how big is and can hybrid cloud become mm. so within the segments of it spending data center systems which cover all the hardware whether it's servers or switches and storage that's about 200 billion dollars annually that's been growing in, in the last couple of years, quite quickly, because kind of the whole server enterprises are are uh, and hyperscalers are switching to these new uh, new CPU configurations and, and also adding a lot of GPUs. So that's about two hundred billion. It's not growing super quickly, but certain segments are growing very quickly, uh, especially, especially AI and accelerators. We've seen that from Nvidia growing, you know, anywhere between one hundred percent to uh, a little bit slower recently. But we'll see how, how where that stabilizes. 
The other segment that it addresses is uh, enterprise software, which is actually a much larger market. It's $400 billion. So 200 billion hardware, 400 billion software, 600 billion altogether, which is actually interesting, the same number as the uh, global advertising market, about 600 billion. And just like that number, the growth is not that interesting at the top line, it's single digits, but it's the mix shift underneath where the opportunity is. For advertising, it's the shift to mobile and digital, and TV is, is you know, still not going down miraculously, but certainly print and other segments are going down. So you have this internal cannibalization. For IT, it's this shift from um, kind of data, local data center spend to cloud on the hardware side, and this shift from traditional software, you know, whether it's from IBM, Oracle, whoever, to these new breed of almost like a hundred software as a startup services company, anyone from Atlassian to Slack, Twilio, for example. And so where are we along in that transition? I guess really where this question is coming from is, you know, you have about five players now who are aggressively attacking this hybrid cloud space. Are they eating each other's lunch or is this room for everyone to grow? The transition to public cloud, we're about one-third there. So one-third of the $200 billion spent on enterprise infrastructure is in the public cloud. This is why all these companies are going after enterprise, because that's still 70%. And the, the first third, call it, it was easy to move. The, the remaining 70% seems to be harder to move. You could just wait it out, or you could attack it, and everyone is attacking it. On the software side, it's, it's, it's hard to say. It, I, I think it's probably similar. Certainly, majority is still the existing companies. It's amazing companies like Cisco and, and Oracle and SAP are, they still are large companies. They do not look like Blockbuster you know, in the twilight years. These companies don't just die overnight, despite you know, the power of disruption. But just the, what's really impressed me is just the sheer consistency and a number of SaaS companies that's, coming, that's being created in the pub- private markets and that's coming into the public markets. It seems like every month, on average, every, every month we have one or two SaaS IPOs, and uh, that's kind of mind-blowing. So you're saying that 2019 is the year for enterprise? Uh, I think it's been the year for enterprise for a couple of years now. And but you're, you're finally on board. I'm, I finally see just, I see it, yeah, because I've been coming from a consumer perspective. I always thought, you know, figuring out Facebook and the next Facebook was the most important thing, but there's only one Facebook and there's not much to figure out after that. You know, Pinterest is going to IPO. By the time you hear this podcast, it would have IPO'd. But they're, after Pinterest, they're, they're no more in the, in the West. In China, there are a lot. Competition is fierce, but kind of consumer internet is very difficult in kind of the US. So enterprise is actually a much more productive space. Interesting. And speaking of China, are there any Chinese companies tackling this same problem or does not appear that enterprise software is a Chinese competency yet, which is very interesting. Every consumer internet company that gets built in the US, 10 of them will appear in China. And the one that succeeds can be 10 times larger than the one in the US. That's a very interesting phenomenon, right? You, you have a germ of the idea in Silicon Valley. It gets it reappears in a, 10 different ways in China. And in the, in the end, it turns out to be huge, Meituan being the most obvious example. But enterprise software, I don't know the parallel to Atlassian. I don't know the parallel to Twilio. I don't know the parallel to, uh, to PagerDuty. I don't think they exist. I don't think that's something that they've really focused on. Maybe it's just, maybe the information just hasn't flowed back to us via Twitter. 
<laughs> well, if you're if you're listening and you know something, uh, feel free to tweet. Yes, it. tweet at us. Chinese SaaS, tweet at us. But I think basically it's been easier for the Chinese companies to 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 do consumer internet companies, and that's what they're doing. And I think it'll be harder for them to win competing against Silicon Valley and SaaS because a that competency is seems to be missing. B it doesn't really seem to China secularly doesn't benefit. Doesn't put them in an advantage naturally. Whereas you know they have X billion consumers instantly. They they have a reason why consumers should should have adoption much faster. For SaaS, it's a slog going door to door, knocking on companies' doors, and trying to convince them to buy your software. So I think it could you know one kind of shorthand I've had for thinking about the world in the internet space is consumer internet China and enterprise SaaS US. That's my ultimate shorthand. What about Europe? <laughs> oh, what about Europe? Did I have any? <laughs> Sorry, Europe. That's right. James only knows uh, the Spotify. United States and China. The United States, China, and Spotify. There you have it. Thank you for joining Promise Fulfilled. I learned a ton. So uh, thank you for sharing all your insights. All right. Nice talking to you, Sam. ARC believes that the information presented is accurate and was obtained from sources that ARC believes to be reliable. However, ARC does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any information, and such information may be subject to change without notice from ARC. Historical results are not indications of future results.